starting in verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. All that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both woman, man, woman, child, and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Then Samuel summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you, went, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good. And they were not, di- and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has returned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Saul was distressed, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early, or Samuel was distressed. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came up to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a monument for himself. Then turned and proceeding on down to Gilgal, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought... Them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but... The people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choicest of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also 
has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of the robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people, before Israel, and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely bitterness of death is past. But Saul said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Saul, Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Father, I pray your word would be clear and true this morning, that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we seek to honor you in our hearing and our doing of your word. Father, I pray that our hearts would be delighting in your ways and your will. Father, guide us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. We've been speaking a lot about the Word. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of the Lord. Oftentimes, though, I think we forget why God's Word and a delight in His Word is so important because we don't see application. We don't see how it applies to our life. And I believe this story, the story of Saul here, is a warning to us of what can happen when we choose our own ways over the Word of God. And so I'm going to title this morning's message, Rejection of the Word. Rejection of the Word. So the story starts out, it, Samuel starts out, he tells Saul, right, he says here in the first that the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. I didn't, Samuel, no, it was not my cho- choice to choose you, it was a, it's the Lord's. He's the one who anointed you king over his people. And this is really important because if God is the one who anointed Saul, then who has authority over Saul? Is it Samuel? No, Samuel was just obeying his Lord, God the Father. But here we have God is saying through Samuel, I anointed you over this people. And so because of that, as my subordinate, I am your king, you are to do what I have said. 
And that is the precursor to all this. If God had not anointed Saul and put him in the place of authority that he had placed him, it wouldn't matter what he had done. But God had placed him there. So now God gives a command to Saul through Samuel. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. I set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. This is a very popular text in the church today, right? No, it's actually one that many people want to throw out. They want to say, well, God could not have meant that. Because they don't understand the justice and judgment of God. That it affects all those who sin. That our sin affects our children. Not in the sense that we are cursed for our children, or our children are cursed for us. God can show mercy on our children. But God is a God who will judge. And He does not withhold His judgment. And what God is calling Saul to do is actually a command that he gave Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Turn there quickly with me. This is a command. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses recounting the acts of God and the word and the, the, the commands of God to his people before he dies and they go in to the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17, this is what he says. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked you and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear. So who would the stragglers have been? The weak, most likely women and children. So let's keep that in mind. So he attacked the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. So this is a command that God had given to Moses to tell the people of Israel that when you are in your land and you have rest from your enemies, you are to blot these people out. You are to totally wipe their memory off the face of the earth. And it's interesting that here it's Saul who gets this command. And he gets the idea, okay, I'm supposed to go and fight Amalek. But he misses something else. 
He forgets that God has devoted the people of Amalek to destruction. We'll see that that phrase throughout this passage. And we'll talk about that more. But he says, punish the Amalek for what they did to Israel. And it's interesting when he says, punish, this word is actually devote to destruction. What is this idea of something being devoted? In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 28, in the ESV it says, But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord, or of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. Remember, what what does the word holy mean? It means set apart. So, when something is devoted to the Lord, whatever it is, it is His. It is not, does not belong to anyone else. And so, here, we see God is punishing Amalek, and He's devoted them to destruction, to be utterly destroyed. And I've I've thought about this. Where is there another passage or a place where something is devoted to destruction? Joshua. The book of Joshua. The city of Jericho was devoted to destruction except Rahab and those who were in her home when the people of Israel came. And what happened? Did did someone take something that didn't belong? Did someone not listen to the word of the Lord? They, They heard it, but they chose to disregard God's devotion to destruction, all that was in Jericho. Remember, it was Achan, right? Achan said, oh, oh, look at this, this pretty little piece here. And he took some things and hid them in his house. So he knew it was wrong because he hid it. Right? He knew it was wrong to take it. And when the people of Israel went up to Ai, what happened? God removed His presence and His power from them, and they were unsuccessful. They were killed. They were frightened and fearful. Many people say, well, why would God just judge over one man? Because All that was in Jericho was devoted to the Lord for destruction. It was a sacrifice to God to destroy every single thing in Jericho. So when Ai was attacked, God was showing, you didn't obey me, and now you will pay the price. So Achan... He didn't just take from the spoil. He took from God that which was devoted to God. So keep that in mind. What is devoted to God? As the story begins, we've we've seen the command. We've seen that God is the one who has put Saul in the power that he has. And so Saul begins to 
fulfill that command, seemingly in a right way. So Saul calls all the men together, he numbers them, and they come out and they attack the city of Amalek. And it's interesting, in verse 6, Saul is actually kind, and he knows something about the Old Testament, which is really important for us to realize. Saul was not ignorant of God's word. Because in verse 6, Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. The Kenites were the family of Moses' father-in-law. And they did. They showed kindness. And Saul... He knew the word enough to remember that, and he gave them a chance to get out of there. So Saul was not totally wicked. right? He's, he's seeking to obey God's command, but there's a flaw that we're going to see very shortly. And we see that Saul defeats them, But then something begins to happen. In verse 8, it says, He captured Agag, the king of the Malachites, dead. Is that what it says? That he captured him dead? No, it says, alive! And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So everyone but Agag was killed. But what did God say? Go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Okay. Saul is beginning to disobey. He's not taking God's word as the absolute authority in his life. He's beginning to reject the word. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. Oh, what's wrong with just sparing some good stuff? You know, I mean, can't we just take Halloween and enjoy the candy giving and... Oh, sorry... Wrong day to talk about that. Too many people out trunk or treating at their church. Um, That's probably not very popular to talk about. But we can just take the best parts of those things, those holidays, those things of the world, and 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 just destroy the bad stuff. You know, let's throw out the witches and goblins, and you know, as long as our kids don't dress like witches and and warlocks, we're okay. This is not why I chose this message, but I feel like this is pretty applicable. They decided, you know what? We want to keep these things. Why? Because they are letting covetousness and selfish gain guide them instead of God's Word. This wasn't just a Saul decision. It was the people as well. But Saul... 
had authority over the people. So when it says Saul and the people, ultimately the decision fell on Saul. So why would they keep all that was good? Well, it tells us, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. It wasn't their will. They didn't want to destroy all that was good. Instead, they allowed God to have devoted to Him in destruction everything that was despised, worthless, and utterly destroyed it. So you're telling me God asked for everything to be devoted to destruction, but they just destroyed the despised and the worthless. Do you think that is a sacrifice that God wants? A partial sacrifice? Do you think He wants us to bring the lamb that is three-legged and looks like it is about to die? No, He wants a pure and spotless lamb. And this is a very clear picture of people choosing what is best for themselves and rejecting the Word of God. And a king who chooses to please the people and his own desires rather than to please God and His Word. So the story's still building. We're not at the climax yet. You may, may think, well, no, we have a problem, right? Saul has disobeyed God. What is God going to do? Then, Saul was probably sleeping well. Oh, I just love the sound of the sheep and oxen lowing. I just can't wait to have a good meal. And he's probably sleeping well that night. Oh, I've done everything God has asked me to do. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. You know the other time that God said something like this? He says, I regret I have made man in Genesis. Does this mean that God didn't know this was coming? No. God is sovereign. He... He knew when he gave this command to Samuel to give to Saul that Saul would prove that he was not a man after his own heart. That Saul was a man who sought to please man over him. And he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. In the ESV, it translates this word distressed as angry. Or the the Hebrew expression is, he had a hot nose. Because when you're angry, what happens? Your face turns red. So Samuel was angry. 
And he's crying out to the Lord all night, What shall I do? What can I do? So Samuel, verse 12, he got up early in the morning. He went out to meet Saul. He didn't wait for a couple days. Oh, I'll just see what happens. I think this is a, an application, maybe not necessarily to this, the main point of this text, but when we see someone in sin, we don't just sit around and hope that things work out. And that doesn't mean that we jump on people right away. We need to be like Samuel, crying out in anger at the devil and crying out to the Lord to give us the words to speak when we confront sin. Samuel didn't run out and meet Saul right when he heard from the Lord. He cried out all night in prayer to the Lord before he went. But he did not avoid the necessary confrontation that was coming. So he rose in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Oh, wow. The great Saul. Well, it's, it's like a monument. And just think about all the monuments in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Could you imagine if a sitting president decided to build a monument to themselves and put it up in Washington, D.C.? Would that really work in our country? Not yet. But we know of communist rulers who have done this, right? Stalin had statues all over and, you know, just name Hitler and they built monuments for themselves. But is a monument really valued if it wasn't a monument built because people respected that person? It's kind of like the testimony, oh, I'm such a great person, but no one has actually attested to that. So Saul is just excited and Oh, I'm such a great king. I've done all this and I'm going to build a monument to myself. It says, then, so after he built this monument to himself, for himself, he then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. So he's got this monument at Carmel. What, which is Carmel? That's a mountain. Maybe he built it on top. I don't know. But he's built this monument to his Success against Amalek, and he comes down to Gilgal. What, what's he going to do in Gilgal? Sacrifice to the Lord. After he sacrificed to himself up on the t- mountain of Mount Carmel. So Samuel came to Saul, and, and Saul said to him, Oh, blessed are you of the Lord! Sorry, I got a little loud. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Oh, I've done it all. I did everything that God said to do. Though I I did dress my kids up for Halloween. Um, But it's just an innocent time. I know it's not apples to apples, but I mean, it's hard not to address this issue when it's 
October 31st. Do you think the Lord is going to leave it there? Oh, yes. Samuel says, oh, Saul, I am so proud of you. You did exactly what God said. Let's go and look at your monument on Carmel. Probably was Saul on a horse looking victorious. I don't know. Probably not. But who knows what the monument looked like. But Saul thought it was something great. And he... He says these things. And this is the climax. What does God think? And what will he say? Did Saul carry out the command of the Lord? Is partial obedience to the word of the Lord obedience? Is delayed obedience obedience? It's not the issue here. It's partial obedience. Verse 14, But Samuel said, What, what do I hear? Bah! Bah! What? what? Where... I did, did you take sheep with you to, to go to go to Agag? Were you did you bring some of your flocks with you? I don't know what sound the oxen make. I guess it sounds like a cow. Maybe a little deeper. No, did you take oxen with you to to carry your your uh, your your siege works? Is that is that what you did? No, Saul, Samuel says, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ear? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. Your sin will find you out, even if the Lord has to use sheep to tattle on you. <laughs> right? The sheep, Samuel already knew, but he had a very interesting way of Accusing Samuel or Saul. He's like, the sheep and the oxen are telling me you're lying. You didn't obey the command of the Lord because the main command was to destroy everything because it's been devoted to the Lord for destruction. Saul said, They. Who's they? Do you think it's a singular noun like we've changed they to be now? Because that's super. Maybe, maybe we've been misreading this text all this time. They. Who is they? Well, we kind of get they later on, because he says, they, and then for the people. Oh, it's their fault. Okay, Adam. Right? He's doing exactly what Adam did with Eve. 
It's interesting, the whole time that Eve was eating, Adam was just sitting there silent. I know this is a totally different story, but it's a very similar picture. And when Eve hands him this fruit, not an apple, I would guess, unless you ask some people who don't like the company apple. Um, <laughs> but the, this fruit was handed to Adam and he ate. But he'd been standing there the whole time. He was silent. And then what does Adam do just like Saul? It was the woman you gave me's fault. First it was her fault, then it was God's fault for giving her to him. And then she blames the... There's no responsibility. Right? Saul is shifting the blame. I have... Oh, no, no, no. Time out. Time out, Samuel. I may be the king, but they did it. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have devoted to destruction or utterly destroyed. We, we, we saved them for sacrifice, Lord. Do you realize that was not why they kept the best sheep and oxen? Because if it had been the best sheep and oxen, God wanted them killed for Him. It was the same as offering a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. God had said, devote these things to me for destruction, total destruction. So this whole argument that Saul is making is completely false. If Saul knew what devoted to the Lord meant... He would know that all these things that have been devoted to the Lord for destruction were the Lord's and were to be destroyed in a sacrifice of obedience to Him. But Saul, whether he was the ringleader or just the complacent leader who was not faithfully leading the people of God with the authority that God had given him, allowed the people or told the people to keep the best sheep and oxen. Samuel has a word. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait! This is a very emphatic wait. Wait a minute. Don't think that this is the excuse that's going to get, get you by. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And all his crying out to the Lord in the night before, God said this. And Saul said to him, Speak. Tell me what the Lord has said. I don't think he's going to like what he hears. And Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? You were nothing. 
And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Who is the authority? Is it Saul that is the most high authority in Israel? No, it's the Lord most high. He will only be allowed to rule as king as long as he submits to the authority of the great king of kings. And the Lord sent you on a mission. It wasn't Samuel that sent him on a mission. It was the Lord, the one who gave him the authority to rule his people. And he said, Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are all but one dead. Is that what it says? No, exterminated. This is not a nice word. This passage of Scripture is not popular in God is love in the sense that God just overlooks all sin and it's no big deal. World. No, God has devoted these wicked sinners and all that they have and all that they are to be exterminated. This is a genocide. Not to make light of those who have suffered genocide at oppressive people, but this is what it is. It's God saying, it is time for you to be wiped off the face of the, the earth because you are a wicked people. I've given you chance after chance after chance after chance, and you still are wicked. So this was the command of God. Now, God has a question for Saul. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't about the Lord. That's not why you kept the sheep and the oxen and all the, the good animals. If it was about the Lord, you would have killed them all. Why? Because God told you to. To devote these to Him for destruction. But you did. You rushed upon the spoil with covetousness and lust. And, oh, I want that. Oh, look at that beautiful lamb. That will be so tasty next fall. Oh, that would be a good one for Passover. Or whatever reason they took them. Oh, I could get a really good flock out of that. That ewe lamb and that ram. But here is the difference between Saul and David. It's verse 18. Sorry, verse 20. So God has spoken to him and has accused him of sin and has brought to light the truth of this issue. But unlike David, when confronted by Nathan with his sin, Paul continued to blame others. 
and to even say he did. Then Saul said to him, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me. I did go, Lord. I, I went. It was, it was great. And this is where obedience stops. And have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, some, sheep, the oxen, the choices of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. This is a complete, the useless sentence. Instead of saying, I am the man, yes, I was the king of Israel. The people would have listened to me. He shifts the blame, just like Adam and just like us many times. How many times when the Lord confronts us with sin do we respond like same like Saul did? I, I did obey, Lord. I, I went that far. But God says, no, you stopped short. I told you to do this and you chose not to. Or you're choosing to do this sin. And you know why I know you're wrong? Because you're hiding it from me. Or trying to hide it from others. When he says in verse 21, but the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, choices, things devoted to destruction. What's this? Devoted to destruction is a sacrifice to the Lord. To sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal, it's. So, time out. They could have sacrificed and not carried all those sheep and oxen and whatever other animals to Gilgal at Amalek and they would have been obedient to the Lord and it would have been a sacrifice that God would have been pleased with. It was a sacrifice that God desired. But they disobeyed. They rejected the word of the Lord because they let envy and strife, lust, covetousness keep them from obeying the word of the Lord. They were more concerned about themselves than obeying the word of the Lord. And Samuel said in response to Saul, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. It's so great that we can read Psalm 119 and hear how much the psalmist delighted in the word of the Lord, meditating on it, guarding his heart with it, being taught by the Lord. But if we hear this whole Bible, if we could memorize the whole word and yet do not obey, it is useless It is not of value. 
Even if we were to give our lives and be burned at the stake, if our hearts are not stayed on the Lord, if our hearts are not to do the the will of the Lord, it doesn't matter how sincere of a faith we have. There are people in religions all over the world who are giving their lives because they believe a lie. But we have the Word of God written. Not so we can just read it and be like, oh, this is such a beautiful text. Oh, I just love the way that this is written. Not that we can't enjoy the way the Bible was written. But it is written with one purpose. To create followers of God. And more specifically, followers of Christ. Those who don't just hear but obey the word of the Lord. In verse 23, we see outright what God sees in Saul and the people's actions. What does he say? He says, for rebellion. That's what it is. That's what sin is. It is rebellion against God. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. What is divination to God? It's an abomination. That's what it says in the book of Leviticus. It is an abomination. An insubordination. So, if God gives the command, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we disobey, what are we? We are insubordinate, whether we're the king or the captain. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. It's the same as idolatry. Why? Because it is denying authority to the God who made us. The God who told us what to do. And what is the result of rebellion against God and insubordination to God? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also rejected you from being king. This cost Saul his rule and his role as leader of Israel. If David had responded to Nathan in the same way, I guarantee you he would not be a man after God's own heart. But the difference between Saul and David is not that David was perfect. The difference is when David was confronted with his sin, sin that he tried to hide by murdering Uriah and marrying Bathsheba as quickly as possible, It's not that David didn't know it was sin, but when God confronted him with his sin, he didn't continue to live in sin and to, as Saul say, but I did obey you. No, David, because he loved the Lord and he loved the word of the Lord, when he was confronted with sin and Nathan said, you're the man, he didn't say, off with his head, guys. I mean, that's how most kings 
deal with people that they don't like. He didn't kill Nathan. He said, Oh, what wretched man I am. I am a sinner. I, I need... And he repented. Because he loved God more than his reputation. He loved God more than he feared man. Like Saul is blaming men, but what's it showing? It's showing that Saul, if it is true that they did it without his, you know, against his will, that Saul was too afraid of them to stand for the truth of God's word to him and his command. And the question I have for us this morning, have we rejected the word of the Lord? Individually, as a body, whatever it may be, in our business, in the way that we live, is God word, God's word the truth that we will stand and die on? Not just quoting it, but living it. Or will we, like Saul Reject the word of the Lord for fame, power, acceptance, so that we can keep authority that God in reality has given us? If we choose to continue to disobey God, it's a proof that our hearts are not after His. It's a proof that His Word is not our divine inspired authority for life. Many people want to say, well, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you can't believe that men make choices that are free. Well, it's because I believe God is sovereign. It's because I believe that God's Word is true that I want to obey Him. Not in my power, because I know I cannot. But through the power of Christ in me. That's why the last, the last message we did on Psalm 119, the psalmist was constantly crying out to the Lord to be his strength and his might and his power. Because he knew he could not obey God on his own. He needed the Lord through his word to Give him strength to overcome the enemy. David had more sin than just fornication or adultery and murder. He lied in the midst of that. And he also counted the people against God's will. That's the sins we know of. David and Sam and Saul were both Imperfect men. The difference is where their hearts were. Oftentimes I think we want to put ourselves on the side of Samuel. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Honestly, we're more like Saul and the people of Israel than we are Samuel. We aren't like David Oftentimes. But God is merciful. And He calls us to repentance. Calls us to cry out to Him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have sinned against you. 
And I know you desire obedience over sacrifice. You love the word of the Lord, and you'll obey His commands. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation, because you know that that's not possible. But because you love Him and His Word, and you delight in Him and His Word, you delight in the things that please God. And the things that please God are described in His Word. His commands are the delight of God for us. The final section of this passage Saul finally decides that he wants to repent. You know, he's been told twice that God has rejected him as king. He says, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord, your words, and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. He's continuing to not take total blame, right? He's continuing to. To say, yeah, I've sinned, but it was because I feared them, not because I was actually being a, a hardcore sinner. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. When we reject the word of the Lord, we reject his reign in our life. We all have a calling from the Lord, whether that is a king or not. It says that we will be priests and kings. When we choose to disobey God, God can take those roles from us. How many times do we see this happen? Pastors who choose disobedience to God, lust and adultery, pornography, whatever it may be. And what happens? The ministry that God has blessed them with, truly, the authority He's given them in the church, what is it? It's all stripped away, all taken or people in missions, or whatever it may be that God has called you into, when you begin to choose sin over God, it will lead to God stripping the authority that He's given you out of your family, your church, your community. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Why does Saul care that Samuel comes and worships with him? So that the people will be honoring him. So that the people will think, oh, he's okay. 
And though Samuel did, was that worship to the Lord true worship? Was that sacrifice that was made true? No. Right? Because we go back to verse 22. I have much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. The Lord desires that more. And then we have the end of, of this section. And Samuel has Agog, Brent, and Agog's like, Agog's like, oh yeah, it's all, it's all going to be good. I'm not going to die. And what does Samuel do? It must have been a bloody mess. But he hacked him in pieces before the Lord. He didn't leave him alive. Samuel was not in the business of disobeying God. He did not reject the word of the Lord. And we shouldn't, like Samuel at the very end of this, this is not the main point again, but Samuel grieved over Saul. He, he wasn't rejoicing when he fell away, when he was rejected of God. It says that he went home and did not see him until the day of his death, and he grieved over Saul. We should be grieved when a brother or sister continually chooses sin. Continually chooses to reject the word of the Lord in their lives. And we should be grieved in our own souls when we reject the word of the Lord and cry out for mercy. We need His strength every day. But if we are unwilling to repent, which includes changing direction, acknowledging that we are sinners, wretched, and that we have not obeyed the command of the Lord, then we cannot see restoration like David did. We'll end up like Saul, rejected of the Lord. I don't want that for any of us. I don't want that for myself. Let us not be people who reject the Word, but believe the Word and delight in it. Let's pray. Lord, make us people who live according to Your Word. That no matter what man may say, no matter what is popular, what seems to be right, that, Lord, we turn to Your Word. We're led by Your Holy Spirit, and we do not give place to the devil. Give us courage today, Lord, to take Your Word and hide it in our hearts so that we would not sin against You. Cause your word to be our delight. Even when your word exposes sin in our hearts. Cause us to delight even more that you would show us our sin so that we would not live for ourselves. Lord, teach us to love you. 
to walk after you with all of our hearts. Lord, guide us by your right hand, we pray. Give us wisdom as we follow after you today, we pray. And help us to continue to walk humbly before you. Lord, you are good and you're faithful and you can be trusted. Teach us to love you at all times. We pray this now in Jesus' name.